0: Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan.
1: And Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution.
0: We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo.
1: Guests that help you think differently.
0: And nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You, authentic you.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tea at Tea. Thomas and Teresa coming at you today with imposter syndrome. Bum, bum, bum.
0: Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't think I'm, <laughs> I'm up to it.
1: This is a, I think this is a great topic because we hear about it a lot. It comes up quite a bit when we're working with clients, and it's not reserved for men or women or a certain race or a certain class or a certain position in the workplace it's something that can affect or afflict anybody really
0: it's also applicable to any age I think there must maybe a, a previous preconception where after a certain amount of time in the job say when people used to just do one job for their life they'd be like well I've been here for 10 years so any imposter syndrome or anyone coming to the respect your elders like they they they've had the experience they must know more they must be better they must never suffer from this imposter syndrome and same with the leaders and things who i guess have been through that cyclical process of through time being elevated and, and now they're the top but in my research in my work in my conversations those people suffer from imposter syndrome just as much as the new person joining the company who has got you know no experience there and everything to prove just the same for, for a leader, whether it's a new leader or a leader who's been there for a long time, you know, things change, uh, things need to adapt. And if you kind of get stuck in that same groove, that comfort zone, then any new change or transformation is going to probably start hitting some of those imposter syndrome, hitting those those alarm bells, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Alarm bells. So what we're going to cover in this episode is like, what is imposter syndrome? So let's get that definition down pat. Symptoms, so how it can show up. Potential causes, where might it be coming from? We'll talk a little bit about the relationship with emotional intelligence and how we can help ourselves, things that we can really do to be able to overcome imposter syndrome. So definition, like what is it? It can be defined as a a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evidence that would say otherwise, despite evidence that says that we are successful and are capable. Oftentimes, imposters suffer from what would be known as chronic self-doubt, a sense of intellectual fraudulence, (laughs) a sense (laughs) of skill fraudulence that may override even, as said previously, any previous proof or external proof that they are competent, which would include like feedback from other people saying that you are successful, you are high in your field, and you are achieving. One thing to, I think, recognize is imposter syndrome is not or doesn't equate with low self-esteem or a lack of confidence, which is an interesting thing, but it's more so related to or linked to perfectionism, especially with high achievers or highly successful people. So the relationship or link to perfectionism is something that comes up quite a bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all, we're all, we can be susceptible to it in any kind of circumstance. And I think what you said there about Different ways in which it can impact us, this idea that everything externally might be saying positive. This is this is great. Everyone's applauding you, everyone's giving you promotions, everyone's telling you this thing. There's still, like we said before, that kind of negative bias in in our brain. So we can hear 10 positive things, but one small negative thing is what will persist and what will reverberate with us. And I think that's a really interesting thing. But immediately from there, I'm like, well yes, let's pinpoint that, but we need to go back, 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 back to what is it that started this process? Because I was just in a call a minute ago on um, Clubhouse, your favourite, it was my first one. I was I was helping someone, facilitating it, and it was about your your perfect imperfections. I think she'd obviously been listening to some song lyrics, and that was the title, but it was the idea that we're born kind of perfect, and it's only through this time that we have this, even the notions of some the difference between perfect and imperfect, or the difference of i am right for this role or i am an imposter or or these ideas that i'm not worthy of this and despite all these things we can talk ourselves out of it going well gosh i'm I'm awfully lucky um they they don't know i'm really sorry the english will be blagging it or you know pretending you know i'm really (laughs) they, they think i'm amazing i'm just going with it i'm not really doing anything and then there's that idea of like you can't see the label from inside the jar kind of thing everyone else can see how amazing you are but you just think how did I get away with that? This is really lucky. You know, you've got like the two sides. I am worthy. I am, I am this great thing or I am, I'm unworthy. And all of these things feed into both of those, those troughs, if you like. And and it's just interesting that we have this hardwired thing for survival, which makes us think, you know, all the negative things are far more important and far more obvious to us. And because of that, any perceived error or, freak mishap fortune we we perceive ourselves we immediately push it into the negative thing and it's just kind Mm. of uh, funny how easily and quickly that builds up but the question is like my daughter she's three i don't think she suffers from imposter syndrome and i'm sure like older kids in the class four or five i'm sure none of them know anything about this this wouldn't really register with him so it's interesting to see what are the pinpoints the touch points along general lifetime, obviously each one will be specific, but what is it that suddenly makes you think I'm not good enough? You know, I'm not enough.
1: Well, probably like anything else, the psychology behind it is a combination of variables. So nature and nurture, we add those mm-hmm. two together. And all of a sudden we have this explosion of a suffering from something like imposter syndrome. So if I happen to personality wise, be a natural high achiever, be tenacious persistent even maybe lean towards needing things to be just so and then i'm also in an environment of parenting where perfection top of class first place is the only thing that is acceptable to receive things like love and acceptance then that's a tornado of variables that will contribute to potentially struggling with imposter syndrome, as soon as I meet up with challenges or circumstances where in which I don't place first, I don't get the top grade, I'm not valedictorian, I'm not the CEO, as soon as those things don't happen, then those instances I think of self-doubt, because it's persistent self-doubt, despite the fact that I have proof that I am successful, successful to my own potential, and I think this is when we also drag in the variable of comparison, how easy it is to be compared. In my family, my older sister was extremely intelligent and very artistic in her intelligence. So, being 16 months younger than her, when I came along in school, I was just the grade after. Teachers already had the experience of my sister's high intellect and her creativity. I had high intellect, but not in the creative space. My intellect was very logical, science-based, math-based. So I was a good student. I was a different kind of student than she was. And there was a comparison right out of the gates to that. So teachers definitely influenced, oh, here comes Teresa, oh, you're Jennifer's sister. Oh, we expect big things from you. So setting that bar very high and growing up around a parent not necessarily both parents. My father is very supportive and encouraging of doing well and doing our best. My mother was a lot more negative in the approach, I would say, not as helpful in the approach. Questions like, okay, so you got um, 99%. What happened to the other 1%? Oh, you got 18 out of 20. What were the two that you got wrong? Why did you get those wrong? The, the feedback was very much centered around the things that weren't perfect, as opposed to feedback that would have promoted taking a look at what you did well and doing more of that in order to elevate performance.
0: Wow, there's an awful lot there to dive into. Um, yes, that, that idea of comparison is, is huge, isn't it? Again, that's something that gets layered onto us. But it was interesting what you said about success is attached to praise love all these kind of things and then the scenario that you're painting it was as if none of those things existed without success you first have the success and then you get this reward and if you don't get the success you don't get anything And, and then also then you went to talk about your sister and this idea that parents and teachers would kind of not celebrate your individuality but rather just go this is the model that we know and accept and we're going to compare you and evaluate you and, and for the rest of your life or the rest of your school life. I hope that's not something that happens so much these days, that idea that, well, this person is great. So anything that you don't do to that same level,
1: mm-hmm. we
0: won't celebrate all the good things that you do, focusing on the very minute negative thing, but making it the entirety of the problem, rather than going, Oh my God, ninety-nine percent—that is incredible. How did you manage that? You did so well, allowing for you know one percent either way of marking error. You know, you never know, it's possible you could have, right. could have come back with that retort. Yeah. <laughs> and it also, uh, also, uh, maybe grateful to be uh, to be the firstborn. <laughs> there are many, many advantages and disadvantages about being firstborn. Perhaps uh, you've highlighted another one there. <laughs>
1: I think in-, in that comparison is a big deal. Arising in that is this element around potential. Did you do your best? I totally did my best. Well then what else am I asking for? What else could I potentially ask for? So you did your best. And what was your best? My best was to study, to ask questions, to read, to practice tests, to draw. I did everything I knew how to do to prepare would you do anything differently next time? I don't know what I don't know. And that's where we have our coaching. That's where we have our parenting that says, maybe next time you could try. And that helps us to push the boundaries and say, oh, that's something I wouldn't have thought about doing before. And if I have a desire to achieve or stretch for higher, then I will integrate those other things into my, how do I do my best? How do I stretch my potential?
0: It makes me think of what we were talking about before we hit record, you know, with your son and the different levels that someone can choose to allot themselves to in in the scholastic sort of program that we're talking about here. And you were saying that perhaps external reasons had made him choose the hardest or the most difficult for whatever perceived benefits would come from that in the future. Mm -hmm. But you've like completely negated the the present experience of it, as you said, it wasn't pleasurable. There was no balance in life. He couldn't do all the fun things that were equally important as the schoolwork. And yeah. only through the honest, open discussion and communication of that between all of you that you were able to say, look, why not You know, try this, see what would happen. And as a result of that, he has had these much more productive, enjoyable year. And it set him on a new path that maybe you know, the new subject he's going to do because he's had that experience. Whereas if, you know, you were focused on you must be in that top 99% yeah. one percentile, um, he would have probably dutifully done that, but he might also just exponentially become more <laughs> miserable than than he was before. When we don't acknowledge that or honour that, you know, we're not showing ourselves that self-compassion, but also as leaders or parents, we're not taking any responsibility for our role in, in, in the process. Like your mum saying, well, why did you get these two questions wrong? Perhaps it would be better, particularly from a leader point of view, to, blah, blah, blah. how can I help you fill in those missing pieces, not focus on where you're lacking, but focus on how your existing strengths could be stretched a bit, or and these kind of things. These are all, for me, personal or through coaching or through leadership tools and techniques that you can build upon to counteract the imposter syndrome, which seems to be, prevalent in all ages all societies or even if it's not directly to you you will have some experience of it or you'll see it in a in a movie or in a story or something like that it'll be fictionalized but it's really based on a sad reality and i think that you mentioned earlier that the link to reality testing from the emotional intelligence situation this idea of reality testing and i think that leads to to the mindfulness bit for me is that you're too busy thinking about what went wrong and the implications of that and what that's going to mean for the future and what this is going to mean for my parents and how this will position me with my peers and all these kind of things that you're taking into account and you're too busy looking at all these different directions and you're not focusing on on yourself in the middle in that mindfulness piece we're always telling people to just be with it allow yourself to you know start again and and not add on things to a situation you know don't put a a negative spin on an already painful experience be bold enough to challenge that status quo and give give ourselves opportunity potential of it just keep opening it up opening up a heart opening up all these kind of things rather than being fixated on one path one answer one solution one outcome and and allowing the self-perception to grow organically yeah, I think that is true for all of us, whether it's a high achiever, or a leader, or just a brand new graduate coming in with lots of expectations. You know, we all have, we all come with this kind of baggage and it's a question of, do we let that baggage drag us down or do we let that baggage lift us up?
1: So a few episodes back, we had J. Brian Hennessy and <laughs> during that episode, he was describing his mom And her way of going about doing her work and her ideas and creating these exceptionally important solutions that brought about a lot of success. And in asking her, like, are you aware? She was like, I'm not doing anything special. And imposter syndrome shows up not just in the self-doubt and fraud. But also in the lack of acknowledgement of what it actually took to achieve what was achieved, especially when we're in our areas of flow, things that are effortless for us, that we just have such a high degree of natural talent around that our ability to acknowledge what we put into it and how much work it is and the outcome that it that it produces is really something to be proud of to integrate into that sense of self, the sense of esteem and sense of confidence, in saying, I have these kinds of skills. So when you speak about reality testing, is such an important emotional intelligence skill when it comes to overcoming imposter syndrome, is being able to finely tune how accurately we assess our skill set, how accurately we can take a look at. I just achieved X. I got the CEO job. I got the promotion. I hit that project out of the park. I redid our whole front garden all by myself. Didn't get a contractor. Whatever the achievement happens to be, whatever the completed task happens to be, reality testing gives us the ability to despite our emotional investment accurately take a look at what did it take? What skills Abilities, personality traits, intellect. What did it take for me to achieve that? When we can effectively use reality testing, we're contributing to all three areas of self-perception. We're contributing to our self-regard, which is our sense of our strengths and weaknesses and loving ourselves fully it contributes to our self-actualization, our willingness to consistently improve ourselves, and it contributes to our emotional self-awareness, recognizing our emotions and how they impact us. So that one skill in emotional intelligence, which is in the decision-making realm, it's not even in the self-perception realm, it's in the decision-making realm, contributes to all three elements within our self-perception realm of emotional intelligence. So for those out there that are listening that might self-identify as struggling with imposter syndrome, of feelings of self-doubt, fraud, a lack of being able to integrate their accomplishments into their sense of self, something to immediately start working on is your objectivity around what you're capable of accomplishing. And what you mentioned in the phrase, difficult to read the label when you're inside the jar, sometimes we need to ask other people their perception of what we're doing, how we did it, What they see our skills as what they see our weaknesses as and when we line up enough of that, we can compare it to our own perception and take a look at where are my blind spots in my own strengths and weaknesses. Where do I not see what other people might happen to be seeing and why is that where does that come from. And as soon as we can sort of trace it back to where does it come from, now we're unraveling the layers that get in our way. So when we have that feeling of self-doubt or of fraudulentness, we can go, oh, I know where that comes Oh, that comes from when I was a kid, X, Y, and Z happened. Because those things happened, I don't believe that I can, I don't believe that I'm worthy enough but I know that that's not true. I know that's not objective. That's emotional lingering, some emotional trauma, some emotional scarring that's showing up today and really impacting and influencing how I feel about what I'm accomplishing today and has tipped me over this perfectionism scale into something that is negatively impacting my ability to succeed and to reap the rewards of feeling successful, happy, well, about those accomplishments. Instead, I'm beating myself up about those accomplishments. That's not a good place to live in. So that would be my recommendation, right out of the gates out of emotional intelligence, is to absolutely work on that reality testing skill set.
0: Yeah, it's it's hugely important. And the three things that you highlighted that would live within that realm, it's not just about the internal, it's also the external as well. And it's about finding the, the integration between those two and being able to exist uh, in that moment, not being too beholden to one or too beholden to the other, but allowing that full perception to help you understand this reality testing. When you were saying that, I was like, well, the, the idea of reality testing would be so alien to so many people. I mean, mm-hmm. this idea that, well, the reality is whatever I'm thinking, right? This, this is my reality. But actually, it's these thoughts that are actually the things that need to be tested someone who has no experience of this, how do we begin them to differentiate between, you know, what they perceive as their reality, i.e. I'm an imposter. I'm not good enough. This isn't working to hang on. These are all just things that you're adding on. Let's just focus on actually what happened, actually what was said. Look at these kind of simple actions that you can do. Like you said, finding a friend or some kind of feedback or some something to counteract the internal interpretation whether that's true false or a mixture of the two and allowing extra input to come in rather than just sitting and fixating with what's already here and letting that fester having the confidence and the courage to and the vulnerability to Mm -hmm. own that and and ask for that help
1: what you're talking about reminds me of a quote from jay shetty's book think like a monk i'm not who I think I am I'm not who you think I am I am who I think you think I am mm. and the first time I read that I went mm, rewind <laughs> I have to read that again and to put it in context I consider what are the personality traits I identify with that I actually identify with or are these personality traits that I identify with because other people have said them to me And so because they said it to me, I started to become those things because I believe what you think about me is who I actually am. Being called competitive, I was adopting this competitive trait. I became competitive. Then I called myself competitive. Am I really competitive? It's a little bit of a mind bender to think about it in that essence. Sometimes our practices of meditation, of emptying and just being certainly allows us to get a little bit closer to is that the true self, or is that a layer of a facade created by my surroundings, my life, my upbringings, the external world? Mm. That's what came up for me when you were mentioning that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good quote. And it reminded me of this thing that Ramdas would talk about, that we were all kind of walking down the street and we have this mind nets, he calls them. So it's like, as you said, there's me, there's what you perceive of me, and then there's what I perceive you perceive me as and you're kind of walking down and do you attach to each other's kind of mind do you get sucked into that thing do you invest all your energy do you try to help or do you kind of have that objectivity to to sit back and, and not get sucked in but still assisting still providing some kind of service but not getting too drawn into their own personal dramas and then letting that infect if that's the right word your own kind of actions and feelings regarding that and then you mentioned competitiveness and I'm sure throughout all of your life you associate the competitiveness with positive, whereas some people might be like, gosh, yes. she's so competitive. I really don't dislike that. It's a really negative thing, why she always pushing, all these kind of things. And it's really made me think of like, like a pinball machine or something that as these balls are rising around every day your experiences, certain things, it will just ping something and it'll flash and maybe it's a positive memory, maybe it's a negative thing. And it, all it needs is just that little faintest of touches to set some of this alarm bell going off in your head and depending on you and that experience that alarm Mm -hmm. might keep ringing for the next hour day weeks (laughs) as we said being able to be objective being able to reality Mm -hmm. test that and not adding all these things on in the moment is really for me the The foundation of the mindful practice and the way that we can kind of try to counteract this imposter syndrome. If we're already acting from the premise that any situation you find yourself, both parties will be bringing with them a certain degree of this imposter syndrome potentiality flowing through it and being careful. Do we activate that? Do we subdue that? Do we welcome it and and work through it? You know, this is the kind of things that we do in the coaching world. You know, I was talking to someone earlier and i said well what we do i feel view it is like i'm more orientation i'm not a map so like if you think of me as like i can point you like a compass in the right direction but i'm not doing the journey for you i'm not going on that path i'm there with you by your side guiding you or to be able to refer back to or to maybe ask that incisive question for me, while I feel while why I feel much more comfortable saying I'm a transformation guide or something like that rather than mm-hmm. a coach, because I have these negative things about a coach. I'm like, this is prescribed, Wait. this is programmatic, this is how you do it, step by step. Like, well, okay, if I want to be, you know, a champion athlete, I can do all those things, but we're talking about something completely different.
1: So perhaps yeah. what we could do is leave our listeners with a little bit of a formula around, okay. So when I find myself struggling with imposter syndrome, what can I do? First is, of course, we have to be self-aware, recognizing the feelings when they emerge. Or you may even recognize the behavioral stuff and and then the feelings, because sometimes we, we catch ourselves in the action of our imposter syndrome behaviorally. And we're like, oh, my God, I'm doing that thing that I do when I am struggling with self-doubt, fraud, or even dismissing my capabilities. Uh, I heard myself say the words, yeah, yeah, that, that was nothing. Like that took nothing, like, Ooh, that's my imposter syndrome. So that self-awareness piece of recognizing it. And then applying layer of the reality testing to rewrite some of the mental programming. Instead of telling ourselves that we don't deserve success, that we're not good enough, that it was really just all luck, challenge that with the reality testing allowing yourself to look for some evidence-based objectivity. The third piece is in all likelihood, the more we share our experiences around it, the more that we normalize the experience. And that will also lighten the intensity of how imposter syndrome shows up. So if we talk about how we're feeling, if we talk about our experience with someone else, whether it be a transformation guide like you, Reese, a coach, a mentor, a friend, a spouse, this can be really beneficial to our quote-unquote recovery out of this syndrome. And those might be three ways to get ourselves back on that track to being less influenced by imposter syndrome and heighten our self-perception realm of emotional intelligence.
0: To begin with, it's like we always say, it's it's learning to respond rather than react because whatever these things do, they'll spark something and then you're off you're off to the races, you're down this track, you're down this <laughs> well-beaten path, you know where you're going, but you still go, you might still fall in the same holes or you might still, you know, have some mishap, but you go anyway. But for me, when you're asking to think of a, a simple thing for people to use, it, I'm reminded of one of the things we talked about before is that RAIN practice. So it's about recognising what it is, this allowing, then this investigating, and then this non-identification with. For me, the non-identification thing is really important, particularly in this if we can first recognise the reality of what is actually happening in the moment rather than connecting the dots to all the terrible things that might have happened in the past. go Oh, this is the start of this path, this dream, this thought, yeah. this uh, these actions that I've been down before. And then you've got the allowing it. So it's again like you uh, just being able to sit with the emotion and not letting it control you. The investigate thing is, is particularly to do with this reality testing. Like, is this really... And then the last one is the non-identification. Well, this isn't to do with me. This isn't my true self. That isn't really a, a fair representation of me. To link it back to this imposter syndrome. How do I do that? I have my support network. I have my um, peers. I have my my friends, my coach, who I can have these open, frank, honest conversations with. And a caveat to that would be just, it's okay to have all these imposter syndrome feelings. It's natural. I think everyone is going to have these feelings. And it's like we say in mindfulness, you know, it's okay, you know, just allow it, let it go, move on to the next one, start again, not get too attached to it, all these kind of things. So I love the RAIN practice.
1: Yeah, that's a great share. Thank you for putting it in those easy to understand terms and steps. So let's thank <laughs> our audience and our listeners for joining us today for a Thomas and Teresa episode. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, add some comments, let us know what you're thinking about, even let us know what you'd like to hear on some upcoming episodes, because we'll bring it to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, reach out to us, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual places. And I would also add that we are now at a position where we want to invite more people in. We have this amazing alumni group that we've created, And we have a vision to have a virtual event, which we're processing now. So I'm just sowing a few seeds here that in in a couple of months time, we'll hopefully have something to offer you with some of our previous guests.
1: Stay tuned for that. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT.
0: Please share, subscribe, rate and review.
1: And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com.
0: And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.